0: For us to give ourselves permission to cut back right now instead of lean into more and to give ourselves the permission to rest and to find ways to rest if we're able to be in nature, to be with family if we can. I know a lot of us can't, right? To have meaningful, heartfelt conversations, ideally, regularly if we're able to. Really amping up the self-care is so important right now, especially right now.
1: Hey hurdlers, Emily Abadi here bringing you episode 124 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about everything from their big wins to how they've gotten through some of life's toughest moments. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way today i am bringing you my conversation with jesse israel he is the founder of the big quiet a mass meditation movement now this hurdle is what i'm really excited about because from the moment i first met jesse i first heard jesse speak i was enamored by him so much so that I knew I needed to bring him on the show, not just because his voice is obscenely calming, and you'll hear that in just a little bit, but because his passion for what he does gets me excited about life. First things first, let's establish what The Big Quiet is. The Big Quiet, up until this year, was basically a mass meditation concept that gathers thousands of people at a time for large-scale moments of quiet, connection and special performances at some of the coolest, most iconic places in the world. Recently, as you can imagine, with everything that has been going on with the pandemic, they have pivoted online to bring a lot of their teachings there, including an upcoming virtual meditation three-part course that teaches you how to have a legit and daily meditation practice. I'll link to that in the show notes. Anyway, I myself experienced the big quiet at the Guggenheim last year. And again, I was just so blown away, not only by the concept and what I experienced in such an unbelievable location, but by Jesse's passion for what he is doing. Let's be real. Jesse did not always dream of launching a meditation concept. In fact, back in college at NYU, he actually launched a record label that signed multi-platinum bands like MGMT. In the grind that came hand in hand with touring bands, he started to experience a ton of anxiety, which sounds about right, and knew that he needed to make a big change. And so a bunch of different experiences, which we'll chat about in today's episode, they brought him to meditation work and eventually creating the Big Quiet. Today, we talk about how the Big Quiet started popping up at all of these big venues, including Madison Square Garden, how Jesse spent the beginning of the year on tour with Oprah and her 2020 Vision Tour, and also, of course, what's next. Before we get into it today, a quick shout out to my sponsor, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens, as you know, is my go-to every single morning. It's an all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. Even with a balanced diet, it is pretty hard to cover all of your nutritional bases. And that's where Athletic Greens comes in. Their daily drink is like nutritional insurance for your body. It's delivered straight to your door and it's also packed with adaptogens for recovery, probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health and vitamin C and zinc citrate for immune support. It's super easy to drink. It's an all-in-one solution that helps your body meet its nutritional needs now is a perfect time to try athletic greens for yourself simply visit athleticgreens.com hurdle to claim a special offer today receive their free d3 k2 wellness bundle with your first purchase now this is a new offer for hurdle listeners a new offer which i am really amped about because vitamin D3 and K2, it combines these essential nutrients to help support the heart, immune, and respiratory system. Again, get a one-year supply of vitamin D with your Athletic Greens purchase. Simply head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get yours today. No code necessary. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to click on over to the link in the show notes in the description to this episode, because in there you can subscribe to the weekly hurdle newsletter. Lots of good takeaways in there. If you like what you're listening to, which I know that you will make sure to tag me tag Jesse over on social media at Jesse Israel. And of course, at hurdle podcast at Emily, Abadi. And if you have a hurdle moment of your own to share, just want to say hi it's emily at hurdle.us one last huge thank you to all of you we are now at over 800 ratings and reviews in the itunes store and i know we can keep climbing so if you have yet to rate and review the pod please take a quick moment do me that solid just real quick i appreciate you i'm grateful for you and with that let's get to hurdling. Today I'm sitting down with Jesse Israel. He is the founder of the Big Quiet, a mass meditation movement. How are you doing, my friend?
0: I'm doing very well.
1: I feel as though I want to really dive into it with you right off the bat because my favorite thing when I went to your website is mm-hmm. that now you say that phrases like personal power and live your purpose are a part of your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So, tell me, what's your purpose.
0: I would say that my purpose is to reconnect people to their power so that they can meaningfully contribute to the world around them. That's like my like buttoned up version of it and when I say that I feel excited, but I also feel that putting a purpose into a sentence or into a couple sentences is really tough and oftentimes a frustrating challenging practice because purpose is so much of a feeling and also very amorphous.
1: What a word. <laughs> I'm into that. Okay.
0: <laughs> but ulti- ultimately for me, what I feel drawn to in regards to my purpose is, is, has a lot to do with my own lived experience, feeling blocked often, definitely more in my past, but still sometimes today, but feeling really blocked mainly from you know stress, anxiety, lowness, loneliness. I felt a lot of that in New York City, feeling this, this disconnection from myself. And learning that when I was able to start to take better care of myself, meditation, obviously a huge part of that for me, um, but, you know, self practices, but also community practices, right, social practices, being in groups, feeling like I'm a part of something, being seen, being supported, being a support of other people, that these two things of having individual practice, you know, self practice, as well as social practice, community practice really helped me feel like I could be me again. And I was able to start to reconnect with that personal power. So I feel really called to, through my own leadership of speaking, teaching, facilitating and hosting events um, to be able to help people have that same experience, to help people reconnect with their power so they can figure out how they can, you know, meaningfully and in a fulfilling way, give to the world around them.
1: Well, you didn't just become a facilitator, someone that's guiding these conversations overnight. And in fact, knowing a little bit about your story before coming into this, uh, it's been quite the journey. So why don't we take it back to those New York days? Why don't we talk about Jesse in college?
0: <laughs> so I went to NYU sophomore year. I was living in a, in a, in a dorm with, uh, it was, it was 11 guys in one, it wasn't a one room, but it was one dorm, large dorm, uh, apartment essentially. And so it was, it was 11 guys. We had two bathrooms and, um, it was pretty terrifying in there. My mom came and visited once and had to leave because she was so disturbed by um, the uh, the dirt. <laughs> so it was a unique setting, but out of that dorm room, my uh, roommate and I started a record label. Um, we had no idea what we were doing, but we started working with a band called MGMT who are also college students at Wesleyan College. And um, we've, 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 we formed a record label to put out their first album. And this is really exciting because I felt really disconnected in New York City. I grew up in Los Angeles. I went to a small high school, and then when I went to uh, to New York to go to NYU, I just felt like this little little tadpole in a big ocean, and um, it was tough for me. It was I was used to community and you know smaller groups, so starting this project, this music project with my roommate, started to give me a, a sense of something I could give myself to. We started to throw concerts. We started DJing and started to, to find a way to get involved creatively, which is really exciting.
1: I'm curious, yeah. what, what attracted you to NYU in the first place?
0: I just wanted, I, I wanted to push myself and, and step out of my comfort zone. Um, you know, Growing up very comfortably in Los Angeles, I wanted to go try a city like New York. And um, uh, <clears> then <throat> I was also really drawn to the energy of the city. I was really into music and filmmaking and, um, and digital design. So I just wanted to go dive into that. And that's what led me to it.
1: Okay. So you start DJing, you start working with your roommate and, and throwing all the parties. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Our labels, MGMT started to grow and our label started to grow with them. We were still selling CDs at the time. We were packaging them up out of our dorm room because this was in, when was this? 2005. Wow. It's crazy. I bet
1: you have some ago. great mixtapes.
0: Yeah, big time, big time some great CDs. Love a Burn CD. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, by the time we graduated, MGMT had really taken off. We had upstreamed them to a major label and they became this sort of global sensation. So by the time I was 23, there was all this exciting momentum around the band, around our label growing and you know, throwing more concerts and signing more bands. It was very exciting. I was also and didn't know what burnout was, but I was I was pretty much on the brink of burnout. Um, I was so stressed about work and, and like just kind of confused about what it meant to be a young man and found that I was experiencing pretty debilitating anxiety um, and started getting panic attacks when I was 23 and didn't know what they were. But just for anyone who's listening, who's had a panic attack before, it's, it's a really uncomfortable experience when the body is overridden with stress and anxiety and um, it can feel very, very doom doom-ridden and really uncomfortable and it was confusing because i had this this cool business that was growing and we were doing really exciting work but my internal weather was very challenged and i didn't feel like i could speak about it with with other people i didn't feel like as a man it was a conversation to have there was definitely less dialogue around i would say mental health in media and sort of like the public eye back then. At this point, we're, we're about probably closer to about maybe 10 years ago in my story. Um, so I just started to find ways to move through it and, and deal with my anxiety and learned about meditation. Um, and it, it was very helpful for me in a short period of time.
1: When you were experiencing these panic attacks and a lot of this anxiety, where did you feel it in your body?
0: I felt it in the same areas where I still feel anxiety today um, in my chest and uh, in my left arm. I often feel it. And under my skin, there's like a, a sensation under the skin that I find to be noticeable when anxiety is creeping up. But the first place where I feel anxiety is in my chest.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely the same.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, where do you feel it?
1: Yeah. In my chest um, and like deep in my chest. And then sometimes in, in my traps mm. and then when it's really bad, I'll just feel it in my stomach. And I've been able to recognize certain patterns within myself of when I can kind of feel that it's getting to be too much. And a lot of those patterns actually have to do with eating to combat stress and The feeling of oncoming anxiety.
0: Mm, Interesting. So you eat as a way to try to push it away?
1: Kind of. Like I'll notice that before I'm about to tackle something that feels a little Everest ish, (laughs) I'll be sitting at my desk and my gut reaction is to get up and walk to the fridge and grab something to eat and then dive in. And that's just such a weird pattern because I won't be hungry. It's just me thinking, oh, if I do this thing, then I'll be better able to cope with whatever is about to come my way. Right. It's interesting. We all have our things. Okay. So you go through this time where you're starting to feel really overwhelmed and you don't know what's going on with your body or Mm -hmm. what's really happening here and what becomes the solution.
0: Well, I start to explore a few things. I mentioned that meditation was one of my first entry points into working through this stuff. Meditation was incredibly helpful. I also started going to therapy, and also started taking medication for you know anti anxiety, anti depression. And between these three things, I learned a lot. I found personally that the meditation, I was really committed to it. Um, that the meditation really helped. That when I be when I was able to start to practice it regularly, you know, consistently, regularly, that. Um, I was able to start to take less amounts of the medication and start to wean off of it and also started to feel like I could go to therapy less and less. And, uh, and yeah, so that really felt like a valuable thread. Um, but I, I will say that all three of those tools were helpful for me. Understanding that um, SSRI medications are very controversial, especially in the wellness space. I found that um, it was helpful for me. Uh, at that period of my life. And um, I'm grateful for the balance of those three things. But meditation was the thing that really helped me forward. And then eventually community.
1: That's really interesting. I'm writing this article right now for GQ on Mm -hmm. breath work. And the expert said something to me that I thought would be really effective for those specifically men, I would say that might be resistant to diving in to a meditation practice, and he said to me that with meditation, it's like you're trying to control the mind with the mind, but with breathwork, you're trying to control the mind starting with the body. So it was as though breathwork was like a gateway into meditation. Like with breathwork, you have a task immediately in that moment. Mm -hmm. Because I think, and I'm sure we'll get into this more, but I think that for many, meditation just feels like something they resist right off the bat.
0: Right. Yeah. This is, and this is a, a, a really common, uh, I would say, misconception to what meditating means. There's this misconception that meditating means that we uh, somehow are able to control our mind to not think or force or focus our brain in a way where it goes still. And this is very tough to do and is something that is... Pr- I would say that practicing meditation in that way is something that is, is more aligned with a monastic lifestyle. Definitely similar practices can be explored today in, in a modern lifestyle, but there are lots of different ways to practice meditation. And I remind people that you can have a meditation practice and experience the great benefits of meditation without the um, what's more typically understood to be as, as like a Zen Buddhist practice of I'm going to really focus on limiting the mind of thinking. This is a really valuable form of practice, but it's only one of many. So I remind people that there are other ways to practice where it's not about controlling the mind, where it's not about trying to empty the mind of thoughts.
1: That's a really helpful tip. I appreciate that. Sure. So you use these three tools and they in turn help you get your anxiety under control. Where do things fall into place with the record label?
0: Uh, let's see, so I started to find that, that with less blocks, right, with, with, with less of the, the stress and the anxiety that I was experiencing, and I, I would still experience it, but it was, it was lessening. And the ways that I was once reacting to things was shifting into going from a more stressful, reactive place to a more thoughtful response. I started to find that there were changes that were shifting how I was able to show up in work and beyond. But specifically with the label, I started to notice that I was able to start to enjoy my work more and I was able to make changes to give myself to elements of my work that felt more fulfilling and more exciting to me. So I didn't just go at like learn meditation and say, I'm out of here. I'm leaving my job. There were several years before I left my label where I was able to just kind of just kind of find more grooves within my work and the ways that I was working with people and I, I led a, a tech fund division at our label where we raised some money and started investing in, in technology um, technology startups that could support musicians and the live music experience. It was a really f- fun, interesting journey. I kind of jumped into the tech space and learned a whole new industry, um, and it was great. We were signing bands, we were developing tech startups, we continued to throw concerts, and I found that I was able to start to enjoy my work more, which was a which was a giant relief. Um, And then about six years ago, I wound up leaving the label after I'd say about a 10 month period uh, leading up to that point where I knew that it wasn't clicking anymore. And then it wasn't about changing my role within the organization like I had tried and enjoyed, but I'd reached this point where I really felt like my growth period within the company had reached its end and that it was time for me to move into Um, whatever was next. And this was kind of an abstract thing because it was just a feeling. It was just a gut read that I had. I felt it intuitively that it was time to move on, but it was really tough to make that decision because, um, you know, if, if you looked, if I looked at it logically, we had this great company, it was growing great business partners, you know, beautiful office space, signing cool bands, investing in technologies. So the rational reasons to stay were, were, were awesome. But then there was just this one thing that's there was a feeling that said it, it was time to move on. And luckily, because of my privilege in this world and some of the money I was able to save up, I had the ability to take that leap and to go explore what was next. So that's what I did. I, I wound up leaving the company.
1: I can only imagine that that was even harder, as you mentioned about having great business partners. I mean, you went into this with a friend of yours and I'm curious when you started to feel this way and you were dealing with the anxiety, were you open about that with the people that you were working with? I I don't, I don't
0: remember being very vocal about it with my business partners. um, Specifically, I may have been a bit. Um, but it wasn't something that I really brought to the workplace much at the time, which is funny because now my work is, is all about that. But I do <laughs> have um, really awesome memories of when I was running the label, um, being at music festivals and, you know, being backstage with other managers or people in the industry or even bands and meditating together, you know, in the midst of, of all of this loud noise and sort of festival chaos. And, really um, appreciating having quiet space and a smaller sense of community within the industry. And then finding that with those individuals, I was able to talk about some of the things that I was experiencing and they were sharing with me that they were experiencing similar stuff. That's when I started to first get a glimpse into the things that were so isolating to me, like the elements that really made me feel kind of alone in my journey. A lot of those were my own mental health challenges Um, as someone working in the music industry, I started to realize that other people in the industry and and successful people in the music industry were were feeling the same stuff. Executives, managers, musicians. And it was so healing and validating to know that I I wasn't going through it alone. But it was rare to have space to be able to quiet down and then to be able to open up and talk about this. So I first started getting tastes of this while I was still in the industry.
1: Got it. And so- You get to a point now where you have left your job. And what's life like after you walk away from that?
0: It was really exciting at first. It it felt, I felt elated to have followed something that was that this kind of gut pull, right? Following the gut can be really exciting in that way. And, you know, there's about a six month period where I had to transition out of my company and we had investors and, you know, there, there was a way I had to handle that. So I left and I felt, it felt really exciting at first. Then I went and I traveled, you know, did that thing, came back a couple months later, landed in New York, was at my apartment in Brooklyn. And I remember sitting on my couch and being like, whoa, this is my first time in a bunch of years. And my first time as an adult where I'm not either in school or running a a company or doing both, right? Because I started my company while I was a sophomore in college. So here I was with, without anything to do. And it was a very bizarre feeling because I put myself in that situation um, and I felt called to, but I also felt like my identity got, was getting, uh, was, 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 I was grasping for something to identify with. I'd always been um, able to identify with being this label guy with this you know, cool band, you know, signing these cool bands and having this cool company. And um, it really much felt like a lot of who I was. And it was in many ways, right? So much of my experiences and who I was, you know, formed out of being in, in the industry. But I really identified with being this record label guy. And here I was not knowing what was next. And I was about to turn 30. And um, I started to go to that comparison place that I know so many of us can go to, especially in the social media age. But I was just watching, had way more time to pay attention to what my peers were doing and how their careers were growing and how their personal lives were unfolding. And um, this thing that I had created space for me to do, which was to leave my company and figure out what was next, kind of became this torturous period of, of getting stuck in comparison and feeling kind of purposeless and isolated. And I realized that um, there was an opportunity for me to start to lean more into what I felt like I needed in that moment right, was to have a sense of community and a space to actually slow down, go inwards, talk about this stuff with other people, that I, I was yearning for that for myself. So I started to look at how I could create that for myself and others. And, um, and I, I wound up, it took me a while to do it. I, was, I was, um, came up with all sorts of reasons as to why I wasn't qualified to start hosting group meditations. But an amazing teacher of mine named Emily Fletcher really encouraged me to do it. So I hosted a group meditation, 20 of my peers, mostly from the music industry and like the fashion space, you know, the places I was kind of partying in New York City. It's a group of people that I wasn't used to coming together to meditate with. But about 20 of us came together at my buddy's apartment in Manhattan. And the idea was for us to sit in quiet together. I wasn't teaching meditation at that time in my life. I was just practicing it. So the idea was, if you have a meditation practice, come through. We'll close our eyes together for 20 minutes. And then afterwards, we'll just talk about what's going on in our lives. So we we hosted that first, what we would call a club meetup uh, over five years ago at this point. And it was really uncomfortable. The whole way through, I was hoping that it was going to get canceled because I felt so un- unqualified to be doing something like that. But we wound up getting together. We meditated. And then... After we, uh, you know, once we opened our eyes, I started to share a little bit about what I just shared with you, some of the discomfort I was experiencing in my own life, and then asked the group, you know, what's going on for all you? And it wasn't, you know, I'm a therapist, I'm gonna tell you what to do. And it wasn't, you know, I'm the meditation teacher, and here's your life advice. It was more just, hey, we're a group of young people going through life, let's slow down, and then let's talk about what's happening. And And other people started to chime in and we just realized in a short period of time that we were pretty much all going through the same stuff in our own unique ways, but not talking about it. And it was, it was so validating to be in this space and also so helpful to know that we were in it together. It really, I really felt this sense of belonging that I hadn't felt in New York city or even as, as a a person, as a young person. Um, so it was, it was a really cool moment and I got this sort of lightning bolt that hit me. It said. this is this is going to be a big part of what i meant to do in this next chapter of my life
1: i've been to medi club now i feel like i need to like announce this to the world <laughs> so <laughs> i have been to medi club we met outside of medi club originally and when you told me that this is this thing that you you made and you started. And, and I was so intrigued by it. And I think it's exactly because of what you're describing is that so rarely, especially as adults, do I feel as though we have an opportunity to open up in a space that feels truly safe. Mm -hmm. And so this experience and this gathering that you start to find yourself investing your time in and cultivating, I would say that that is a hundred percent part of what makes it so, so valuable and so special outside of just the meditation. And is that what you're hearing from the people that are coming to the early days of MediClub.
0: Yeah, it's cool that you reflect on that because what, what, I, what I noticed within the first few months of MediClub happening, we're doing it every month, was that um, people were coming because of meditation. Meditation was, was starting to become this popularized thing where people were understanding that there was great benefit around it and they were interested. So they were coming for the meditation, but I think the thing that was really bringing people back and allowing the community to grow and it grew very fast was that um, we were making space for these conversations. We were making the space to be human together and that really became the glue of it. And I also think that that's a really critical piece to I'd say the glue of any community is, is how is space being created for people to just show up as themselves and contribute in some way to the group experience. And in this way, it was happening through the conversations we were having. Well, it was also happening through the, the silence that we would share in meditation. There's an element of contribution to that. Um, but everyone sharing, or for those that were comfortable sharing, it felt like we were a part of this, this experience together. And, and, I've, and I've grown to, you know, as, as I focus more on community building work over the years, I've grown to really look at a community gathering versus just an event. A community gathering, I believe, is when the participants the community members are able to participate, are able to contribute to the experience in some way, as opposed to maybe something like a concert or a more traditional event, where it's more it's more one way, right? Watching someone talk or watching a panel or watching a band, and you're sort of pulling from the experience and enjoying it, but not contributing to it. By the way, nothing wrong with that, but two very different experiences. So those conversations were really valuable ways for people to feel like, they were contributing in some way to feel like they were of use to the collective uh, group.
1: So when do you start to kind of think about taking medi club to the next level? Because at this point you're still unemployed. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was still unemployed and I, I had maybe like, I don't know, six, eight months or so of savings that I was able to live off of at the time was able to just kind of give myself to this, uh, not for very long, but enough to be able to do that, which is pretty cool and rare. Yeah. Um, I was in this interesting situation where I was, um, you know, there were, there were cool job opportunities that were starting to present themselves or had been presenting themselves in the music industry, which I was incredibly grateful for, but just wasn't feeling like that was my work anymore. And it was so bizarre to be turning, to, you know, to be saying no to opportunities um, in, in this other industry because I felt called to something else. It was very hard to articulate. I remember talking about it with my parents and then being like, you know, we're getting a little concerned. You're turning down job opportunities. You're running out of your savings. Um, what are you doing? And I remember telling them, you know, I really want to make sense of, of why I'm here and, and make sense of my purpose and give myself to that actually wound up leading to a really cool conversation that I had with my parents about purpose something we had never talked about before as a family um but it was it was it was scary but I had this compass that was that was sort of just guiding me towards what felt right in my gut and um and I really do attribute my meditation practice to me being able to follow that and to have the courage to go with it and by the way it wasn't just like I was fearlessly You know, blindly following this this path into you know creating a meditation movement, I was very much um, freaked out and um, uh, yet worried about what was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. But, But leaned into it and and gave myself the permission to just figure it out and go with it and knew that I would be able to, to uh, or thought I would be able to you know join an, another job or move back in the music industry if, if it came down to it financially, if I needed to. Um, so I kept doing it. And then about six months into MediClub uh, happening, we started the big quiet. It, there was a, it was an opportunity to create the experience that we were having at MediClub with a couple hundred people and to share it with thousands of people at large. And the first big quiet happened about five years ago.
1: Where was the first big quiet?
0: It was at Summer Stage Central Park, which is this, you know, incredible venue right in this in the center of the city at one of the you know greatest parks in the world. And I I, I was on uh, like an arts committee at Summer Stage Central Park because of my time in the music industry. So I pitched the the board on the medic on the Medi club community at the time is a few hundred people. Um, creating a mass meditation together and inviting anyone in new york Fibros, to come be a part of it and to make it a free event and you know summer stage central park and the city parks foundation went for it it was the first time they had officially backed something like a mass meditation so they gave us the venue and um, several i think maybe 30 or 40 employees like staffers to to you know make create this special moment it was and it was really exciting so that came to life and sharing that experience at a larger scale felt really good. We had some awesome bands perform when people opened their eyes from the meditation. There was DJs and great food. It was kind of like a blend of what I loved about the music industry, but with the things that I felt were missing from it happening at this legendary venue and and just, you were
1: leading this meditation yeah,
0: and by that point i uh, by that point, I was starting to lead the meditations. I was working with a teacher um, who was. Supporting me to do that. I wasn't teaching meditation, but I was guiding the group meditation. And um, that also felt really scary, but also really exciting. I was working with and, and actually still work with this person. His name is Johnny Pollard. It's one of the first people to do mass meditations. Um, he was leading them in Australia where he's based. So he had some experience around this thing that not a lot of people have experienced. So it was exciting because it was new, but it was also scary because it was new. And um, it it felt it felt really great to be able to do it, and we continued uh, so we continued to to do the big quiet. We were starting to get invites to host big quiets at different venues at that time, it was all uh free for the most part, or we were doing it was donation based. Um, but I realized within that first year that there was there was a real need for what we were doing, like we we were serving a need that was helping people to come together in this way. Um, and that it wasn't going to be sustainable to continue to serve that need if I wasn't charging for this work. Right. And that if, and if I was only relying on volunteers, which I was incredibly grateful to have, but there's just, you know, the, the difference between working with volunteers and having a paid staff is, is great. You know, there's, there's, there's real accountability that starts to occur. So I made the decision to phase the company into a, um, a for-profit to make it a company and to phase it into a a for-profit business and to start charging for our events and to find um, payment scales and ways to still include people who couldn't afford the ticket price that would allow us to operate and make it a business. And it was, that was also a really scary and uncomfortable period was, was how to, how to go into naming and pricing this thing. But what we saw was that once we named a price for our events, Medi Club and The Big Quiet, that it actually increased the value that people, uh, I think, took it more seriously. And then it allowed me to bring a small paid staff together to start to take it to the next level.
1: I love what you said before, and I guess I'll refer to it a little bit as imposter syndrome. Yeah just that idea of being scared to be the person that stands up, whether it's in the small group inside of the first few mini clubs, or of course on that summer stage in front of a much larger group of people and asking yourself like why am the I, the person that's here? Mm-hmm to do these things. And I can totally relate on so many different levels, but one that I think is a funny example to bring to this is once I started to lead my recent hurdle sessions and and market these events, some of them I have concepted that I haven't released yet, definitely have to do a lot with self-work and building confidence and a lot of personal development things. And on that note, I started to ask myself, like, why am I the person that gets to talk to you about building confidence? And I started looking into, you know, coaching and life coaching and who I should be speaking with and et cetera, et cetera. And I was talking to my father about this and my dad goes, well, why do you feel as though you have to do this? And I said, well, I just want to make sure that when people show up or if they're going to, Pay their way to do this with me that they feel like they're getting their money's worth. And he says, Do you think that certification is going to change that experience for them? And then he said to me, Did Oprah go to a life coaching class? (laughs) I said, I highly doubt that Oprah (laughs) went to a life coaching class, but she still became Oprah. So I guess we're just going to keep running with this, right?
0: I love that. I'm so glad that you're pointing it out. I think it's really important, a really important message this imposter syndrome thing comes up so often and i do think that there's a balance between being qualified to help people with with real challenges in life and then and and having you know the proper training or certification to be able to do that but i think most of the time we as people tend to feel the imposter syndrome and hold ourselves back for things that we are absolutely meant to move into and don't need the qualifications or the certifications to do like your example. And, and I think this is, this is true across the board, not just in the wellness space. I hear it all the time when friends get promoted or when people start to explore new work or feel like they're following a calling or a sense of purpose that is brand new to them. You know, if I stayed in that realm of, uh, Jesse, you really shouldn't be organizing these group meditations. Who are you to be doing that? Um, or who are you to get on stage to guide you know, a 10-minute mindfulness exercise? Um, if I listened to those stories and, and stayed in, in a safer lane, I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing today. And I believe that my work is able to help lots of people. Um, and I've been able to, f- to follow a line of integrity to make sure that I, I get the training when I actually need it for the role. So if I was trying to tell people, hey, I'm going to teach meditation and give you life advice without any training, um, I don't think that would have been responsible or an integrity. But to be able to facilitate an experience where we can come together and close our eyes and to just talk about what's going on in our lives, I believe anybody can do that. Yeah, so this has been a really important part of my journey and I'm so glad that you highlighted that.
1: taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsor for Sigmatic, a wellness company that mixes shrooms and adaptogens with coffee, cacao, lattes, protein powder, and edible skincare. All right, it sounds a little wacky, I know, but once you try their products, which taste absolutely nothing like mushrooms, I swear, (laughs) you'll be hard to remember life without them. Personally, my two favorites are the peanut butter protein powder and the mushroom ground coffee with lion's mane. Now, good news. On Wednesday this week, I'm gonna be doing an entire hurdle moment episode to explain why adaptogens are something you absolutely need in your life. But in the meantime, I'll touch on Chaga, the king of mushrooms. Basically, the antioxidant properties and unique compounds in mushrooms support our immune systems. And we all know now more than ever that is so, so important for overall health, in addition to getting enough sleep or reducing stress and eating healthy. If you're already a coffee drinker, leveling up your routine with this blend is an absolute no brainer and I love how it helps me think and feel productive without the annoying jitters or a crash plus it's certified organic gmo free vegan gluten free and whole 30 approved so if it it's in everybody's lifestyle. Of course, they have a special offer for the Hurdle podcast audience. Receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order today. Just head on over to foursigmatic.com slash hurdle or enter code hurdle at checkout. Again, that is F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash hurdle to receive 15% off your order today. When you and I met, you were in the middle of, and I'm skipping forward a little bit here, but a multi-city tour with The Big Quiet. So talk to me about how The Big Quiet goes from summer stage, a few other things, to, wow, we're really going to take this on the road.
0: Yeah, so we started to get more and more invites from really special an iconic locations in the city to gather people from, for the big quiet for these mass meditation moments. And it was really cool to see that like when our small team was in this incredible community of New Yorkers who were really supporting it, when we were aligned with what we felt like people needed and we were aligned with doing it in a way that felt real to us, the stuff that would come to us, it was so cool what was sort of ma- being magnetized through this and um, you know, uh, we, we started to get these opportunities to host the Big Quiet at the venues that I dreamed of having our bands perform at. And now we were gathering people to, to meditate and have music at these places. And we got a cold email from Madison Square Garden, which was just so crazy to me, because that was always the dream. It's like to have one of our bands play MSG, you know, the great <laughs> arena. And we got a cold email from MSG a couple of years into the Big Quiet's growth. And they, they asked us if we'd be interested in collaborating on an event where we would host a mass meditation on the arena floor. And it's just unreal to be able to have, to have these experiences and to bring this value system to these incredibly iconic locations. So we were able to start to you know, build momentum through those partnerships. You know, my, my, my background being in the music industry and touring bands started to think more and more about what it would look like to take the big quiet on the road and to tour The Big Quiet like it was a band. And we decided to give it a shot in 2018 um, when Emily Kessler, who's now my partner in The Big Quiet, um, came on board to start managing The Big Quiet. And she has an awesome background in the music industry and also a big meditator. So we have a lot in common there. So Em came on board and really helped us grow The Big Quiet to something that could go beyond Uh, New York City and could and could pull from some of those things that we both understood from the music industry 2018 we did a five-city tour and we brought the big quiet to iconic locations in five cities and then in in 2019 in the fall last year we we took the big Quiet on a 10-city tour where we were able to go to some great spots we did three big quiets at, at the Guggenheim which I remember seeing you at and um, places like Hollywood Forever Cemetery and the Boston Public Library in front of the, the titanosaur, the, the largest dinosaur ever at the Museum of Natural History in Chicago. And um, was able to just really gather people in different communities in some really special places, sharing this thing that we've loved. Um, so, yeah, that tour last year was such a blast. And we actually had a 20-city tour lined up for this fall, which has been postponed.
1: Oh. Man, (laughs) the first question follow up from that is once you start to home in on this new path Mm -hmm. and monetize the big quiet and everything seems to get rolling and MSG calls and it's exciting, what happens to your anxiety?
0: Let's see. I distinctly remember the, um, the couple of months leading up to MSG. This bizarre thing was happening because people were like, "Wow, we can't believe it! It's like two or three years into the big quiet, and you guys are doing MSG. How incredible!" Which, which was incredible. But I also remember being feeling so low at this period in my life. I, had, I was, I was just, I was going through some personal challenges and was having a real spike in my, um, in my anxiety and, and mental health challenges. And it was such a weird juxtaposition to be about to go do a big quiet in MSG while feeling so shitty inside. And this is was what was so great about Medi Club was it was a space to be able to talk about that. So I remember having a Medi Club because to be clear, Medi Club still happens. And, and at that point, it was happening every month, while, whereas the big quiet was happening, I don't know, maybe quarterly or something like that. And at the Medi club right before MSG, I remember getting up in front of the group and and being able to say, "This is such a strange experience because I'm so excited and grateful to have MSG ahead of us, um, but I'm also internally really going through this tough time." And it's it was it still felt like I'm not supposed to be feeling that way. You know, I'm about to lead, uh, you know, host a mass meditation at MSG. I'm supposed to be this wellness guy, this meditation figure that like brings love and light and enlightenment. <laughs> to um everything that he does and there i was just in a really dark period it was uh you know what it was i was um i had been i was weaning off of uh i had gone off of a medication um off of an ssri medication and was really having um, a tough time with the the process of going off of it because i was not smart with how i weaned off of it um going off of SSRI medications can be really challenging So I was, I was in this really low spot and I spoke to the group about it. I was like, you know, I'm about to do this, this big thing at MSG. And I, and and I'm a person in the wellness industry. I also have relation, like experiences with SSRI medications, anti-anxiety medication. I'm also experiencing a lot of anxiety in my life right now. And both of these things are great, right? To be able to hold both of these experiences, in my opinion, is what it's about. So to be able to continue to be on this big quiet path and to be able to honestly communicate the excitement and also the challenges that I was going through with my own shit as I was being human and growing into who I am um, was really important. It was important to be able to celebrate those two things together. And over the past five years of developing the big quiet, I've made great progress with these challenges. I'd say mainly in regards to my relationship with how I treat my anxiety and how I treat depression and some of these challenges. Whereas in the past, I really felt like I wasn't supposed to be having them, that I was a fake if I was feeling anxiety and leading meditations with thousands of people. And what's shifted is when that stuff comes up, I just allow it. I welcome it. I do my best to bring love to it when I feel my anxiety. And it's just changed my relationship to it. And I often am able to melt through it as a result of, of taking on this, this, this different attitude to it, this, you know, this different relationship to it and being able to speak about that while the big quiet has grown, I think has been really important because such an important value to the work that I do and that the big quiet does is, is owning the fact that, and this is something that I'd like to see more of in the wellness space is that wellness and life is not all lightness. It's not all, you know, just like bright, white, happy, athleisure, salads. I love all that stuff. But like anything in life, there is darkness, there is challenge. And it's the full spectrum of experience that I love to celebrate through my work, regardless if I'm on stage with Oprah or if I'm hosting a meditation with 20 people when Medi Club first started, right? This full spectrum of experience is what it's about. And I love celebrating and covering both of those things. So to wrap it up, I'm grateful that I've had those experiences while being on this path, although they've been uncomfortable and confronting for sure.
1: For sure. And so you mentioned that last fall you did the 10 city tour. And then right after that, you jumped into Oprah's 2020 vision tour. So talk to me about how that came about.
0: Yeah. So Oprah's team came to one of the big quiet stops, it was the Chicago stop on our tour last year. Some of Oprah's team from the WW team came and checked it out and they liked it. And we hit it off and they suggested that I, I lead a meditation at one of the tour stops on the Oprah tour, which was insane because Oprah was a huge source of inspiration for starting Medi Club. Probably I'd say the main source of inspiration. I loved the way that she had modernized and popularized vulnerable conversation and humanized it in a way that was, I thought, so beautiful and authentic. And it really led me to wanting to create MediClub and have that conversation piece. So to get an invite to be able to lead a meditation at one of our tour stops was was really exciting. And um, I was meant to only do this at the first stop of the tour. And we were able to turn it into this segment where I, I did a 10 minute talk about meditation and the importance of rest and quiet, you know, in this age of noise. And then a 10 minute meditation with Jackie from the big quiet playing sound bowls at the first stop of Oprah's tour. And we were meant to only do that. And it was an incredible um, opportunity to be a part of this great event. It was at an at arena with 15,000 people for Lauderdale. And it was incredibly nerve-wracking, but also felt so great to be up there. Oprah sat in the audience and meditated during the mass meditation. And then she came on stage and she did a Q&A with me where we got to talk about some of the things that you and I are talking about here on this podcast. And it went really well. So a couple of days after that, that launch event happened, uh, her team called me and, and said that Oprah really enjoyed it and that the team really enjoyed it. and They wanted Jackie and I to come on the full tour uh, for the next 10 weeks. And the next tour stop was in, I think like two or three
1: days. (laughs) Who's the first person you tell when Oprah's team calls you and tells you that they want you to come on tour?
0: (laughs) I think the first person that I called was Emily, who's the big quiet's manager um, (laughs) and and my partner in the big quiet. And then I was, I was actually at my parents' place and I was supposed to have dinner It was like, dinner was in like 15 minutes and um and I couldn't eat I was just too excited
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I can't even imagine
0: (laughs) yeah it was pretty surreal and and so
1: you get the call to go and you literally just pack up because you know you'll be on the road for just the foreseeable future or do you know that you're going to go to this tour stop and then have time to regroup and then go on the road
0: well, the way that it worked was we were mainly doing weekends. So I would spend half the week in the city that the, that the, that the event was gonna be at. And then I was able to spend a couple of days each week in LA. I had moved to my place in Venice the day I got the call to go on tour. So it was just kind of a strange time to be moving into this new place while also um, being on the road. And it just worked out. You know, My rule was like for those 10 weeks when I was in town, I just took it really easy. And then we would go on the weekends and have this incredible experience. And then I mentioned three days after the last tour stop was when the, was when the pandemic, uh, was when the quarantine kicked in in LA. So wow. I came off this tour, you know, very fired up for the next chapter <laughs> with a lot of really exciting things booked, like a 20-city big quiet tour and plenty of other things. And then, yeah, three days after I got back and was like, all right, I'm going to settle here in LA. Um, the pandemic kicked in. I went to my parents for the weekend and three months later was still at my parents' place.
1: Wow. Wow. That's insane. I think a big source of anxiety for people, although it hasn't been as much of an issue this year with the pandemic as you're speaking about, but when you are constantly traveling, constantly on the go, it can feel really unsettling and, and a little disturbing at times. And you can get wrapped up in what it is that you're on the move to do. But then when you take a step back and you finally stop, it can just be a lot. So two questions. Firstly, what did you do to help stay grounded when you were in this constant go? And then after we talk about that, I'd love for you to shed some light on, on coming down from that experience for you.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, in re- in regards to being able to manage uh, the travel, I was also doing a lot of speaking engagements while I was on the tour. So there was one week where um, I was in five cities in a in a seven day period, and wow, and that's just that's not something that the body knows how to handle. It just doesn't, um, you know, just the the concept of flight is so new to the, to the human, to the human body, we're, we're not used to moving through time and space that quickly. We're also not used to being in, in different time zones and in, in different parts of the globe in such short periods of time that air travel provides. So travel is a lot on the nervous system. This is why it tends to feel stressful and also why it's easy to get sick when we travel or after we travel. Um, so for me, and this is what we do with the big quiet team. when we, when we tour, um, we just go really hard on boundaries when we, when we travel, when we're touring. And this is what I did on the Oprah tour as well. So for me, it was just giving myself a lot of permission to rest. And it was, it was like, you know, I, I didn't want to, um, uh, so when I would go to a new city, it wasn't for me, it wasn't an opportunity to go explore that city and, you know, go out and party and see this and that, and then also show up for my segment at the arena. You know, for me, it was, When I'm, when I'm there in that spot, I'm just resting a lot of phone off time, a lot of taking it easy, bathing. Um, I'm really particular about how I eat when I'm, when I'm on tour, because I just find that food and diet um, can really support. I know you talk a lot about this too, can really, can really support um, me feeling my best when I'm on the road. It's tough to do when we're traveling, but that was really important. Um, so yeah, so for me, it was really just boundaries around rest and giving myself that permission to rest as much as I could. So I could really show up for the things that I was on tour for. And even when I was back home in LA for a couple of days every week, I wasn't out and doing much. I was really just taking it easy. And this is actually something that, that Oprah and I both talked about at every tour stop together on stage, which was the permission for people to rest and, uh, you know, we both are uh, able to acknowledge that that is a position of privilege. Not everyone is able to, but for those of us that are able to, um, create the permission to rest, this, is the concept that we all deserve rest, especially with how hard we're going, regardless if we're on tour or not to see rest as an opportunity to recharge and as a source of power, instead of rest as a means of guilt or laziness or anti-hustle, um, think this is, this is a really important message. So just trying to embody that and live that on tour was really important. And, um,
1: how did you, um, I'm going to break in here. How did you go about setting these boundaries for yourself without feeling guilty or like you were doing something wrong? I was just,
0: so, so there, there are two ways to look at it. One, one was, the boundaries I was creating for myself, which I could feel like, like FOMO around or like some missed opportunity around. And then there was the boundaries I was setting with other people. So with the boundaries for myself, I just gave myself permission to really f- listen to my body. You know, if I was, if, if, if I had just been traveling that day and I'm in a hotel in a new city and um other people on the team are gonna go out and you know go out to a bar that night and have fun. Yeah, there's that temptation to want to go be with that group and to see the city and who knows when I'll be in that city again. But ultimately, I would check in with my body, and if 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 my body felt like it needed rest, which it did for a lot of this experience, then it, I was really clear about it. Just taking the night off, and I would just tell the people, I would tell the team that you know taking the night off, I'm gonna rest tonight, and just owning it, and 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 just being really clear about it. And this was true with people as well. Um, there were definitely people that I wanted to see, you know, in different cities and friends I had in different cities. But for me, trying to be social and squeezing different appointments or meetings while I was also on this tour, I knew I know myself. I, I know that that would wipe me out. So when people would ask if I could get together in the city, I would just say, you know, on, on this trip, I'm really making space to rest um, when I'm not doing the show. But I'd love to get together when I'm next in town and just really upfront people really, I, I find, tend to respect clear boundaries. You know, I think the hard thing with boundaries is to be able to say them to people or to be able to mm. own them ourselves. But ultimately, when I communicate a boundary to someone else and I do it lovingly, it may sting a little bit for the other person, right? We, like, we're so sensitive and I want to hurt people's feelings. But when I'm doing it because it's really what I know I need um, and I'm doing it from a place of love, people ultimately really respect it.
1: I love that feedback. I think it's really, really helpful. And I think for sure, as I'm sure that you have also experienced that setting boundaries can can definitely be a difficult exercise and one that takes practice, just like so many other things in our lives, including meditation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then on the come down note, talk to me about what it was like to come back from this crazy, crazy, crazy life experience and then be thrust into just hanging out with mom and dad? (laughs) (laughs) It
0: it was, I would say the first few months of it. um, I was, I was just in like service mode because I came off this Oprah tour. Yes. There was a ton of awesome stuff lined up. The world changed really fast in the matter of a week um, in regards to the intensity of of how it was about to affect my life and, and a lot of people around me. So I shifted into, okay, I was about to go to Australia and go rest for a month. And instead, there's a real opportunity to figure out how digitally and virtually I could help people and share meditation and and bring this tool that I knew was about to be more important than ever. So I leaned into um, starting to figure out how I can do my work virtually, which I never did. Everything I did before was in person except for things like podcasts. Um, And even those were oftentimes recorded in person. So this is, this is a very new platform for me. So I decided that instead of resting, I was gonna step up to that need. And for the next two months, I worked very hard. And it was cool because I would spend the nights with my parents and then all my other time, if I wasn't sleeping, I was pretty much just, just working and, um, and adjusting our business. And it was, I was starting to see the signs, like some of the symptoms of burnout, which I know from my own experience, you know, having experienced it several times in my music industry career and in my big quiet career. But I wasn't really treating them seriously because it just, everything felt so strange. It was like such a new normal around all the Zoom time and not being able to see people and how weird that felt in my body to be indoors so much. So I think it was easy to go, these feelings of burnout are are just attached to the weird world and new dynamic that we're in. Um, so I kept pushing. And then about two months ago, I, um, I just hit a huge wall. And I realized that I've been placing a ton of pressure on myself to figure out how I was going to adjust a business that I dedicated the past five years of my life building, mainly in the physical space. I've been putting a lot of pressure on myself to figure out what the new thing was going to look like and how to do it digitally and seeing my peers adjust to shifting their digital businesses and um, had this, this great pressure that I'd placed on myself to figure it out. And I know a lot of people had spoken to me about feeling this sense of pandemic pressure, feeling like it was, it was the opportunity to create more and figure this out and take advantage of the time off. But the reality is, I know for me, I already needed the rest going into it and just the levels of, I'd say, collective stress and intensity, plus the pressure I was placing on myself around work, Um, I was, I was not doing any service to myself and definitely wasn't able to be of service to other people. So I got really fried and, um, and started to find that like doing much around my work was really fatiguing for me. Zoom calls, guided meditations, um, you know, virtual speaking engagements. I I started to feel really tired by it all, even though I wanted to be helping people. I wasn't taking care of myself first. And I've learned this lesson so many times I had to be taught it again, (laughs) So yeah. I've taken the past, um, the past month or so to just ease in. And the reality is my business is different right now. I know it is for a lot of people. I know a lot of people don't have jobs right now. And for me, it was, it's been about letting go of the pressure to figure out the next thing. It's been about releasing what I thought my life was gonna look like after the Oprah tour and, and having a very different reality, which has been the case for so many people. And finding a balance to rest and take care of myself because I'm able to right now while also doing some of the work that I was doing before so I can still give myself um, to helping people and also make a living while, you know, while I'm in this unique time. And I've been able to create a three week break that I'm I'm going on uh, a week after next where I'm just going to, I'm going to just turn off just, just go offline for three weeks, which I'm really looking forward to going to spend some time in nature and have that reset. And I've, I've been taught that lesson again.
1: It's that classic idea of you've got to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help other people, right? Yeah. For you, I'm curious just because I feel like burnout is such a hot topic, especially I can really sympathize and relate to this concept of feeling like you want to be so productive. You want to do everything. You feel like you should be taking advantage of this time. Uh, for you, what were those signs of burnout?
0: So the signs of burnout for me, which I, I, I tend to see are, are, are similar symptoms for other people. And I work a lot with executives and people at companies. And I say, see this, this is pretty common across the board. But for me, it starts to look like and feel like a loss of vitality an interest in the things that I find myself interested in. Usually the things that feel exciting to me, usually there's sort of a, a a loss of energy and aliveness around it. Um, And, uh, and when it gets more extreme, it can start to feel kind of like a hopelessness. This is, I think when we're really in burnout is that sort of loss of vitality turns to a sense of hopelessness. So that's the first thing is just like noticing that change in relationship to things that once excited me. Then there's the feeling of, of of getting fatigued easily by things that wouldn't fatigue me in the past. So, you know, by 11 a.m. having had one or two Zoom calls and already feeling exhausted by it, right? Um, it's just starting to notice that my tolerance, my adaptability to be able to face work and people and you know, the things that I give myself to, that, that, that adaptability energy is, is lower. Also noticing that by the end of the day, I just feel so wiped out uh, and, and really feeling like I needed more rest than usual. These are some of the signs. And then for me also, there was you know, a heightened sense of anxiety, which I really do think has been felt collectively by a lot of people. Um, I, th- I think that when there is this much uncertainty and intensity in our country and in the world, like we've seen over the past several months, that that is something that, that lots of people can feel. And I think that that created an extra layer of weight on top of the burnout that was starting to form. Um, so feeling that, that, that heightened sense of anxiety was real. What I've seen with the burnout is the, the best way to move through it, or the, I'd say the best way to really knock it out before it gets bad is to, is to, is to prioritize rest. Because if I allow myself to fall into the burnout stage, the way to recover from it once we've like fully fallen into burnout can take a long time. Um, It can take months sometimes to recover from burnout if we don't catch ourselves and really treat it before we we fully fall into it. Um, So I feel like I was starting to really feel those symptoms and just taking my own advice because I've been able to, knowing that I needed to take a break from all my work and I'm able to right now, which is really great. I'm lucky to be able to do. So making that happen before it gets bad. And that's what I've needed to do. And I'm seeing a lot of people experiencing this fatigue because we are there's so many things we're holding at once right now. It makes sense that this is our reality. So for us to give ourselves permission to cut back right now instead of lean into more and to give ourselves the permission to rest and to find ways to rest, if we're able to be in nature to be with family if we can. I know a lot of us can't, right? To have meaningful, heartfelt conversations, ideally regularly if we're able to, um, and giving ourselves way more space to rest, take baths for those of us that have baths, um, really amping up the self-care is so important right now, especially right now.
1: What does the pivot look like at this time for the big quiet now that the 20-stop tour is postponed for the time being?
0: We've mainly been leaning into live virtual courses, which have actually been very gratifying. Um, we, when we weren't touring, we would run a course where we would teach groups of people how to meditate. At our events, we guide meditations, and it's experiential. You have, you have an experience, you leave. But we also have felt really called over the past couple of years to, to create space and community around people who really want to learn how to meditate so they can do it on their own, not just come to an event to meditate or not just use an app to meditate, although these things are great. I wanted to give people the power to be able to practice on their own and to be able to do so for life. So we have been running our virtual meditation course, we called the Big Quiet 101, and we've been doing it virtually. So we do it in, in, in groups through Zoom. And it's been, a, it's been a very different experience, but it's been really effective. We've really been enjoying it. We did a partnership with Audible Originals, and we created a bunch of different um, guided meditations with some really incredible musical guests, uh, people we work with at The Big Quiet. And um, we've been releasing those throughout the pandemic. There are meditations um, and audio tracks to help people sleep at night and to help people wake up while we're in this challenging time. So that's been really cool. We've seen a a handful of those hit the uh, top 10 Audible bestsellers list, which has been really exciting. I've been doing a lot of um, uh, virtual speaking and virtual mass meditations through the Big Quiet or just uh, me individually. A lot for corporations and and for different events that are happening virtually, connecting thousands of people through different places to, to have this similar type of experience that we have at our events, but virtually. And we've been seeing that it's effective, it's different, but it can work to have people all over the world tune in to have that moment. So it's been a lot of change and there's been a lot of um, discomfort that we've leaned into, but we're making sense of it. Uh, It's evolving and growing. And I actually think that we're going to have elements of our business that I think can help people in ways we wouldn't have considered or explored if we weren't forced to look at virtual so there has been that plus side to it
1: i think the most powerful businesses and the most successful businesses going forward are going to be those that do just that that don't take what they learned during this period and once things go back to a version of how they used to be they're like well okay that's done now but being able to take these virtual learnings and include these offerings and in ways to reach a broader consumer base going forward. That's definitely, it's going to be interesting to see how businesses everywhere really ebb and flow with that for sure. Yeah. I think so too. When I go to your Instagram page, I see in your ever lovely Instagram bio, founder of the big quiet. I scroll down, I see you leading these mass meditations. It looks like you got your shit together. (laughs) when you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you?
0: Big time Scorpio over here. Um, The moodiness is real for me. (laughs) Um, So ultimately when I'm in a place of remembering, right, when I really feel connected and I look at myself, I feel proud of the person that I've become. And I have been able to grow into a point of, I'd say being able to, celebrate the things that have been really challenging for me and to finally understand that that the challenges in my life have been my greatest teachers and that they're really important parts of what make me who I am today. I feel when I look at myself in the mirror, when I'm in that good place, I'm able to see that and celebrate that. And to know that it's my imperfections, it's my challenges that make me who I am. And, and that is something that I find if I'm able to, to bring love to, then I'm able to bring love to all the things that happen in my life, not just love myself when things are going good. And this has really been really important for me. Um, so that's real. But you know, it's also worth noting that based on the day, I'll look at myself in the mirror and I will not feel good about um, how my life's going, or not feel good about how my day's looking. I'll just not feel good in general. And for me, a big part of my practice over these past few years has been about allowing that to be okay. And to not resist and fight or try to you know change or pass through the discomfort or the challenging days, but instead to welcome them and embrace them, to love them if I'm able to, to understand that it's it's the darkness as well as the lightness that makes me who I am, um, and I think right now this this feels particularly important.
1: You have an opportunity to put one last thing, to put one last message into the universe on that instagram page what do you think that you would put there
0: i think that like the, the 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 last message that i would want to put out if i if i could choose the last message it would be about i think it's it's been what's been most important for me really the most important thing for me in my process has been about and and i know it sounds the way it sounds but it's real for me It's about being able to love myself wherever I'm at in that moment and to be able to celebrate and appreciate um, me for me with all the things that are happening and to understand and know that I'm meant to be in that place with those experiences at that time. There's such a, I think, collective push to feel like when we feel bad that we need to change it and fix it or intellectual, you know, make sense of it in some way. Um, and that often leads to, to to people feeling like they're not enough, like they're behind. this is so commonly felt, so you know the message that's been most important to me, which would be the last message that I put out, would be um, for us to be able to love ourselves for who we are in this moment.
1: You have an opportunity right now to offer yourself one piece of advice looking back on the hurdle moment, which was the anxieties of running a record label and constantly working and being on the go and never stopping what do you tell yourself?
0: I tell myself what I've seen consistently throughout the past five years of of doing this work, I've seen that my tendency is to really hold on tight and grip and try to control a lot of what I'm creating and where it's going. And whenever that's happening, right, when I'm I'm really in that sort of maintenance and like gripping place, I find that um, the magic kind of gets lost in the work and things start to slow down and become less enjoyable. And when I'm able to let go and understand that while having an intention for my work is important, trying to create a perfect plan and, and sort of force that plan to place um, is not realistic, and usually leads to me feeling significantly unhappy. So to give myself permission to let go, to just sort of s- surrender to how work and life unfolds while staying connected to an intention um, would be really helpful for me. Because any time in my life where I've been able to do that, especially in my work, I find that I'm able to appreciate it, enjoy it more. In um, those moments when I grip tightly, and a lot of it comes from my perfectionism, um, it becomes way less enjoyable. So for me, it would it would be it would be to remind myself that I can let go and to give myself that permission to to surrender to what's to whatever is happening and to stay um, intention-driven while moving through that.
1: I'm just so appreciative for your perspective and and really just your vulnerability. I think it's really beautiful to to hear you open up knowing how much your perspective and again, that vulnerability is really going to help other people. So thank you, my friend. I appreciate you so much.
0: (laughs) You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be able to talk about this stuff. And it's great to be able to talk about this at a time that's challenging for so many people, including leaders in the wellness space. So thank you for making the space and, and for sharing my story and for sharing my story in this moment.
1: Please take a moment and leave a quick review by clicking the link with the description to this episode. We all face multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at hurdle podcast Jesse how do they keep up with you how do they keep up with the big quiet give me all of the details
0: (laughs) people can keep up with me on my Instagram at Jesse Israel or my website jesseisrael.com same with the big quiet at the big quiet and the big quiet.com
1: I am at Emily Abadi and at hurdle podcast another hurdle conquered catch you guys next time